Welcome to the Moon in Carolina podcast, where we candidly talk business and personal growth through the lens of spirituality, astrology, practicality, and consciousness. I'm your host, Shelby Bundy, and I look forward to diving into the everyday magic of creating the life and business that you were born to lead. Hello and welcome to the Moon in Carolina podcast. I'm recording this episode in the thick of the holiday season, and I'm both excited it has arrived while also looking forward to its passing. Yule is one of my favorite times of year for the sheer purpose that it kind of forces me to consider how I'm caring for myself by way of resting and retreating. But the social obligations get me every year, and I totally do it to myself. I overload my calendar and then I complain when I get burnt out. There's no one to blame but myself, although I'll try to blame it on my husband. (laughs) If you're listening to this near its original air date, Happy New Year and welcome to 2024. Where has the time gone? Also, I have a bit of a cold, so bear with me. I'm going to try not to cough through this whole episode, but I've had it for about three days now and it's a rough one. So anyway, I'm really excited about today's episode as it's a topic that I get asked about often, which is how I went from being a Southern Baptist to a practicing pagan. My road to paganism was not paved with witchy women who raised me and taught me how to create spells or honor the wheel of the year, like so many others that I know, but I was taught much about the power of ritual and how to honor the divine, which I'll get into a bit later. For now, let's begin at the beginning with a little story time. So I was born and raised in a small town in Northern California, um, as I've mentioned before, in a tight-knit little community. I was raised by my mother's side of our family, and I didn't have any contact with my father's side until much later in life. My mom's side was Christian, with my grandmother being Baptist and my grandfather a converted Baptist. He was uh, raised Mormon. So there were three of us kids in the house, my sister, my brother, and me. We were raised on Christian values and taught young the biblical stories that supported them. We regularly attended a little Baptist church where we went to Sunday school, got baptized, and participated in the annual Christmas plays. I remember loving Sundays after the church service, as there would usually be a potluck at the little church on the hill, or the entire family would meet up for lunch at the one diner in town. My grandmother and matriarch of our family taught us the most about God and his creations. It's so woven into the fabric of her life that the knowledge and faith just flows out of her effortlessly. One of my favorite childhood memories is staying the night at her house and listening to her tell us Bible stories before bed. She would get out this big whiteboard and put it on an easel, grab her colored markers, and draw pictures as she spoke. I had a visual of what Daniel looked like when he fell into the lion's den, and I could spell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before most kids could spell their last names. She's an artist at heart, and her illustrations were beautiful. They helped us to stay engaged and understand the stories we were being told. Looking back, this is probably where my love for mythology was birthed, in that little blue room being told late-night tales. We prayed at every meal, and I prayed every night before bed. I spoke to Jesus like he was my friend, because he was, and he knew all of my secrets. I was taught to always give thanks before asking for anything, so my prayers always began with a list of everything I was grateful for. 
When I got to my list of requests, I always began with a prayer for letting me live long enough to drive a car. This was important to me, and I was afraid the plague was going to get me before I had ever got the chance. I was taught that demons were real and that hell was a place I did not want to go to. It was where you would burn eternally and be eaten alive by a large worm with sharp teeth. I don't know if anyone actually taught me that last part or if that's just how I envisioned it, but either way, I was not going to end up there. I was going to be in my best behavior. I learned what God approved of and what he didn't. I memorized the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. I could recite the books of the Bible in order. When I got older, I would attend youth group weekly and even wear a promise ring that was given to me at church. It's so weird to look back on that now, wearing a ring that basically symbolized being married to God until a human man took his place. I was proud to wear it when it was given to me, and I believed in the chastity that it represented at the time. It aligned with the values I was taught up to that point, and I liked looking at it. I would wear this ring until high school, which if you listen to my past episode on perception, you can gather it came off pretty quickly at that point. I honestly don't know what happened to it. I don't own it anymore. By 14, I had read the Bible twice, front to back. I had one of those daily ones that broke it down into sections and put it in an order that made it flow. Starting at Genesis and reading straight through to Revelations is not quite as easy to follow, so somebody had the great idea to create a guide that jumped you around. I followed it, and I read it every day, highlighting and making notes in the margins like I had seen my mom and grandma do on Sundays during the sermons. I liked the stories, and I liked learning. I liked that my mom and grandma seemed proud of me and that my pa would talk to me about what I had read that day. I liked that I was doing what was expected of me, and I was proud of myself. I was going to go to heaven when I died. We were always late to church growing up. As my mom said, as long as we got there before the singing stopped, we were fine. We didn't need to do that part. The sermon was what was important. So sometimes we would skip church altogether if we were running too far behind, and we would just drive around on the back roads for an hour, listening to music and talking about God. I like those days the best and can remember looking out the window and being glad I wasn't sitting in a stuffy pew. During my high school years, things changed at home, and we went to church less and less. As I mentioned earlier, I was no longer promised to God by way of a ring, and I was learning what human boys were like instead. I was still religious and still prayed regularly. I got my driver's license, and I thank Jesus for listening to me all those years and keeping me alive. I had some guilt over breaking the values I was taught by way of sex, drinking, lying to my mom, but I was a teenager, and looking back, I wasn't nearly as bad as I thought I was. The fact that I had guilt made me feel like I wasn't too far gone. I was in regular communication with God and Jesus, and they knew my heart. Plus, I was taught that all I needed to do was feel remorse and ask forgiveness in order to have my slate wiped clean, so I was all set. The feeling remorse part was the one that got me sometimes. Sometimes I just genuinely wasn't sorry, and I wondered if the guys upstairs could see that when I was asking. I think this is probably the birth of the saying, sorry, not sorry, as that's how it felt. When I became a parent for the first time at 21, I wanted to instill in my son the values that I had been brought up with. I taught him to pray. I bought him VeggieTales DVDs and read him Bible stories before bed. We occasionally went to church, mostly on Christmas and Easter. His dad was raised Catholic in Europe and had some bad experiences at a boarding school there, so he was not into institutionalized religion at all. He believed in God, I believed in God, and we shared our values, and neither of us felt that we needed to go to a weekly church in order to maintain our relationship with him, so we didn't prioritize it. 
Instead of having a set day and time devoted to God, we spoke about him randomly, asked each other questions, and pondered religion over dinners. It was free-flowing and unrestricted, and I liked it. Fast forward to a few years later, um, when I met my husband, Jason. Jason and I met at a bar in San Diego, and we were instantly a team. Meeting him felt like, oh, there you are, you know, when you just see something or someone and you're like, oh, that's what I've been looking for. It was so easy. He was in the military and I was a single mom. We were 24 and 26. Lifestyle wise, we did not have a lot in common at the time, but we both wanted the same future and we knew that we could build it together. Jason wasn't raised with any religion and didn't attend church growing up. He wasn't taught the biblical stories and he wasn't Joseph to my Mary in the Christmas play. What he knew of Christianity, he had learned by living, watching things on TV, reading books, and having conversations with other people. He wasn't unknowledgeable by any means, and he just didn't have the first-hand experience in organized religion that I did. We would talk about this difference between us often, and if I'm being completely honest, sometimes I wondered if I could get him to see things my way. I just wholeheartedly believed that it was the right way, and I wanted him to be with me when we died. According to what I was taught, Jason was going to meet that worm in hell solely because he wasn't raised the same way that I was. I asked a pastor about this once, why someone like Jason would go to hell even though he's a good person, simply because he hadn't accepted Jesus into his heart. It isn't his fault he was raised without religion. And what of the tribes that live in the Amazon who have never been introduced to a Bible? How are they to know that they're on the wrong path? The answer I got was that the Bible says that each person will be presented with an opportunity to follow Jesus in their lifetime, and that is when they are making the choice. So was I Jason's opportunity? Is this happening now? And what if I can't convince him? It was stressing me out. Jason is the most open-minded person I've ever met, and he happily would go to church with me when I asked. I remember this one Sunday, we were driving to this church that I had liked the pastor at, and I was praying in my head the entire way there, God, please make this sermon a good one. Let it resonate with him and maybe pique his interest, help him to believe. I don't want him to go to hell. So we go in and we sit down and the sermon starts. The topic this Sunday is on the Battle of Jericho and how God's army took the wall down to get inside. You may have heard the children's song that says, and the walls came tumbling down. Anyways, God commanded that the army circle the wall and blow horns for seven days. On the seventh day, the wall crumbled, giving the army access. Following God's law, they then proceeded to kill every man, woman, and child, as well as the oxen, sheep, and the donkeys. They then cursed the firstborn child of anyone who tried to rebuild from the rubble. I was sitting there in the pew listening, like, really, God, this is the one that you chose? After the sermon, we collected Chase from Sunday school and loaded up in the car. It's dead silent. And then Jason looks at me and it says, So let me make sure I understand this correctly. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, babe, that's a terrible story. We didn't go to church much after that. And it was one of the first times I remember really questioning God's methods. Jason and I used to drive the length of California often since we lived in San Diego and our families were north and way north. It was on these drives that we would get into deep religious, spiritual, and philosophical conversations. He would be like, so Shelby, what do you think about aliens? Or explain where evolution fits into the Bible? Or what about the dinosaurs? All the normal challenging questions posed to religious people. But it wasn't that he was actually challenging me, more that he was encouraging me to consider a different perspective. 
We never fought over it, of course, but we could discuss and debate from L.A. to Sacramento. Over the next eight years or so, these conversations would continue and we would begin to travel internationally. Learning has always been at the forefront of what drives me, and I love reading books and watching documentaries. I began to learn more about other cultures, their religions, and spiritual practices, and how they connected to God. I fell in love with mythology, and I found the stories to be remarkably similar in themes to some of the biblical stories that my grandmother had told me. I researched creation stories, and I saw the same thread. I would dive into my own ancestral practices and learn about Celtic paganism and the Wheel of the Year. I realized that Christmas came from Yule, Easter, from Ostara, and so on. I learned that the Catholic Saint Bridget was actually a goddess of spring turned saint to help convert early pagans. I was fascinated by it all, and I just kept learning. I liked that the church was in nature and that hell doesn't exist. This meant that Jason and I could be together always, and I wasn't afraid for him anymore. I knew that I had found something that resonated with me, and once again, it felt like one of those, oh, there you are, moments. It was like something that I knew all along was realized. But now what? How does one convert from Christianity to paganism? What do I do with all the things that I was taught, and what do I have to give up? What does this actually look like in practice? This was the hardest part for me, and looking back, it really makes me sad. I didn't know nearly as much as I thought I did, and I didn't have anyone close to me that I could ask. I leaned on books and the internet, as one does, to validate my path and find answers. And so here is what I thought. One, I have to believe in multiple gods. All the mythology stories are supposedly true, and those gods and goddesses are the ones that I should believe in now. Two, of those, I need to find one goddess that I resonate with the most, and she's going to be my new person. There's so many to choose from. Who do I pick? Any, meeny, miny, mo. I choose Gaia because she's the mother goddess, goddess of nature, and I like trees. Three, I can no longer pray, but I can cast spells and I can write intentions when the moon is doing a certain thing, which is very similar to praying, but we don't call it that anymore. And four, most importantly, I have to break up with Jesus. Just saying that makes me want to cry because I remember how it felt when I came to that realization of what I believe to be true. So I literally did just that. One night as I was laying in bed, I said a final prayer to him and I broke it off. I thanked him for being there for me my entire life, for keeping me safe, and for listening to me every time I called out to him. I thanked him for my two kids, for Jason, and for the life that I had thus far. I told him that I was sorry for leaving him, but that I just didn't believe in him anymore or what he stood for. It was the hardest breakup of my life. We had been together for over 30 years. And then I said amen. My next prayer was to Gaia because I thought that's what I needed to do. And it went something like, hey, I'm Shelby. You don't know me and I don't know you, but I guess you're my goddess now. And so here I am. It was awkward. <laughs> the next steps were to take off my cross necklace and decide how I felt about the word witch. I learned that the word witch is actually Romanian for wise woman, albeit completely misunderstood in modern society. I also learned that the pentacle was not a satanic symbol, but one that represented unity and balance within the universe. I had a deep aversion to it, however, since I was raised believing it held the power of the devil. It would take me a couple years to really get comfortable with it, actually. When the time came to tell my family, I was nervous and scared. It wasn't so much of a coming out meeting as it was a discussion. By this time, I was in the early stages of Tamed Wild, and so most of my family had seen my website and social media pages. They were disapproving of me way before I was able to sit at the table and explain myself. 
When I was able to eventually have these conversations, I was messy and clumsy. Looking back, I didn't really completely understand it myself yet, so I wasn't in a position to tell anyone else about it. I wish now that I would have just said, I'm still figuring this out myself. I'll let you know when I feel comfortable talking about it. That would have saved me a lot of stumbling on my words as the conversations I was having were more of an inquisition and attempt to debunk everything I said versus genuine curiosity and a desire to understand. I get it though. I was a Baptist once too, and I know how fiercely protective they can be. All of a sudden, I was the one whose soul they were worried about. Back to the worm I go. (laughs) But to be clear, it wasn't that I was mistreated or unsupported. Um, It was just that I wasn't sure about what I was doing quite yet, and I didn't exude much confidence. While family may not have agreed with me, they left me alone, and I went on my merry pagan way. As time went on, I continued to learn more and more. I studied herbalism, learning the traditional medicinal properties of herbs, and then I learned the magical properties of herbs as well. I learned about crystals and how they can carry different energies. I learned about the moon and began to cultivate a relationship with her energy and cycles, using them as a roadmap to my month. I missed Jesus quite a bit. If I was ever in a moment of terror or despair, I would start to reach out to him out of habit before catching myself and redirecting my call to Gaia. I prayed to her mainly in those days and was still grasping the concept of deities as archetypes or calling upon multiple deities. I wanted to talk to Jesus still, but thought that would be breaking a rule and that it would mean I wasn't truly a pagan. I had been raised on spirituality having rules and was struggling to understand it any other way. I also only spoke to the feminine energies and goddesses and completely disregarded the masculine. I had had enough of that with Christianity and was avoiding them altogether. The maiden, mother, and crone took the place of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I aligned myself with the wheel of the year and studied the Sabbaths. I built an altar and added things to it according to what books and blog posts said I should for the season, and I read more books. It took a long time for me to fully understand what I was doing wrong and what I was doing right. And what I was doing wrong was doing what others said I should do. I basically traded following the rules of Christianity for following the air quotes rules of paganism, which is an oxymoron as paganism has no rules, which is why most of us are drawn to it. I wasn't following my heart or trusting my intuition as much as I was doing A before B and C before D. I was worried about what other pagans would think about me as much as I was worried about what the Baptist would. I was taught young that societal acceptance goes hand in hand with spirituality, and I was trying to maintain that alignment. It was ingrained in me, and I didn't really know how to shift my perspective until one day I did. I realized that by avoiding the masculine energies in my practice, I was creating an imbalance, which was ironic as my entire path so far has been based on living in cycles and seasons and creating a balance within myself. I realized that I felt pressured by myself to be what I believed is a textbook pagan. I was trying to check boxes and had ignored my intuition and my attempt to transition. I realized that I hadn't been following what felt right to me. And that is the day that I reached back out to Jesus. It wasn't to become a Baptist again or to abandon paganism, but I realized that I had a masculine energy in my spiritual life that I trusted, and I had pushed him away. I realized that when I had opened myself up to multiple deities, that I didn't have to let go of the one that I already had a deep relationship with. I realized that there were really no rules and that I had placed some on myself. 
I also realized that who or what I pray to is no one's business but my own, and I felt stupid that I had ever thought otherwise. So Jesus was back, and he joined Hecate, Gaia, and Demeter on my deity team. The team can change depending on what I'm going through in life, and different energies are present, but Jesus is always there as the OG. I let go of expectations, and I leaned into the parts of paganism that called to my soul, like being in nature, living in rhythm with the moon, honoring the seasons of the year and of life, trusting in prayer and being clear with my intentions, treating all living things with respect and compassion, and honoring all ways of life. And as soon as I leaned into my true, authentic practice, everything aligned. I was able to speak to my beliefs with knowledge and confidence. I was able to answer questions when asked easily and without fear. I was able to brush off those who criticized me or judged me and seamlessly block out energies or people that felt threatening. When I did all of this, I finally became what I consider to be a practicing pagan. Because to me, that's what paganism really is. Living in your truth, trusting your intuition, and honoring the world and energies around us. So I said early on that I was taught the power of ritual and how to create spells from the Baptist women in my life, and I want to share that perspective before I go. When I finally embraced my practice, I realized that I had already learned many of the concepts and already possessed many of the tools that I would need. Church every Sunday was a ritual that taught me how to take time to cultivate my spiritual practice. Listening to the pastor speak his sermon taught me to find meaning in historical mythologies, just as listening to my grandmother tell us bedtime stories did. My mom driving us around backcountry roads when we were too late to go to church taught me that I didn't need a temple to connect with God. Church itself taught me the power of a spiritual community and how important it is to learn from each other, support each other, and find like-minded people to connect with. By teaching me about demons and possession, I was also taught that by invoking the name of Christ, I could banish them. This taught me the power of my words and gave credence to the intentions I write and the prayers that I whisper. By teaching me that Jesus will answer me if I simply believe in him and ask him, I was taught that I'm a powerful manifester and that we can create our own realities simply by believing in them. By teaching me to envision protective angels standing at the corner of my bed when I'm scared at night, I was taught to cast a protection spell. And by showing me how to pray and how to give thanks before asking for anything, I was taught the importance of balance and reciprocity. But most importantly, and what I'm most grateful for, is being shown the power of a spiritual practice, be it Baptist, Buddhist, Catholicism, or paganism. I'm grateful that I was given the opportunity to live and learn one and then to choose another. So thank you to my mom and grandmother for cultivating that in me. And that brings me to the end of what is now episode 10 of this little pod. I didn't quite know how it was going to go when I started this podcast, but I must say I'm really enjoying the process and watching it evolve. I appreciate you all listening. And as always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear them. The podcast email is hello at themooninCarolina.com. Until then, I'm Shelby Bundy, and I thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about my upcoming courses and offerings in coaching, consulting, or astrology, visit my website, themooningcarolina.com. You can also find me on Instagram at themooningcarolina.com.